Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. Pull up a chair while I take a deeper dive into the concerns for the teams present and future. Questions are always welcomed, whether on Twitter, Tim815, on the Anchor Contest Line, or on my Facebook Pre-Arb Excellence group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, The Cubs 35s, and ask me questions if I was confusing. I tried to do this podcast before, but I realized there was information that I needed that I didn't have yet, and I needed to go back and load up a screen and start the podcast again. Have you ever been in a situation where someone criticized how you were spending your time? You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be doing this other thing. You should instead be doing this or that or whichever whichever topic. You ought to be doing the thing other than what you're doing instead of the thing that you're doing. I don't know, but I'm guessing that maybe that's happened to you once or twice in your life. I could be wrong. Um... I've become a bit of a devotee of fan graphs. And this is a podcast swinging off of that hinge. I've becoming, become a bit of a devotee of fan graphs. Some people are fans of Baseball America. Some, fans are, some people are fans of Baseball Prospectus. Some people, um, Prospects Live. Some people have a whole lot of respect for a whole lot of different people. But um, I'm closer to fan graphs for two reasons. One, their stuff is all above board. You you can go and look and research and find out, and uh, they will tell you there if you have a fifty va- uh, fifty future value batter, he is worth twenty eight million dollars. If you have a fifty future value pitcher. He's worth $21 million. They have the information. They have the stuff there. They have, you can look it up. You can see what they mean. You can see why they're saying what they're saying. And their stuff is all out there. Their stuff is all out there and they show you their homework. Showing your homework is rather important to me. Pause. Back a while ago, I started to pay quite a bit of attention to fan graphs because they were explaining why they had the Cubs where they had the Cubs in their um, development ticker. Um, Some people had the Cubs at 24th or 18th or 19th or whatever. I didn't really care about the number, but why, why do you have them there? Well, we have this thing, and there's this formula, and, there, and we hide it, and you, you don't, uh, uh, they're 26th. Well, what, what do they have to do to get, uh, they're 26th. Wait, why, why do you, how close, uh, how close are they to 25th? Or 20, they're 26th. Or they're 24th, or they're 21st. or they're, Everything's behind a curtain with a lot of places. And I don't really like that. With fan graphs, here's the number. Bang! The Cubs are seventh place. $260 million in future value. And one of the things that kind of uh, led to this podcast and the homework that went into this podcast, $260 million. Back in July at some point, one of the trades... One of the trades, one of the numerous trades, the Cubs climbed from like 17th to 16th or 18th to 17th, and they climbed over the $200 million in future value mark. I don't remember specifically what trade it was. I should probably go back and figure out a way to find out what it was, but I I don't really remember which one it was. But as I look at the Cubs' future value now, I see $260 million. See, $260 million. When the Cubs climbed over that $200 million mark in July at some point, they, you know what? $200 million would be a nice level, nice round level, to really not go below. Really not go below. I, I, regardless how well the Cubs are doing. Hey, woo Cubs are going to the playoffs again. But at least they're over $200 million still. The Cubs are doing successful in the playoffs. The Cubs are making trades in July. Cubs are, but they're still over two hundred million. 
That's why I'd like the Cubs to be. Again, kind of with the... Uh, um, the health coach kind of mindset. The... Um, yeah, the, the people who are health coaches and, you know, mental health and physical health and all that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things that I would like to see the Cubs do at some point, regardless how good they get, their minor league pipeline should always be either at or near 200 million. Heck, the Giants. The Giants are going to be making the playoffs. The Giants are possibly going to be the top seed in the National League. And their pipeline is at $265 million. And of course, a couple years ago, people were saying, geez, the Giants are horrible. They're going to be useful for about, useless for about 15 or 16 years. They're going to be terrible. They have nobody that I've heard. Well, now they have a $265 million uh, future value pipeline and they have the top seed in the National League, at least as of today. So yeah, I get They're not horrible. They're, they're really not horrible. Um... Today's concept is, with fan graphs, there are different player rankings based on how well they've done. What they had as far as a signing bonus, where they were drafted, how well they've done through the minor leagues, how far they've advanced, what their accessible skills are, does the hitter have power, does the pitcher throw 97 miles an hour all that kind of stuff and it all goes together to paint a bit of an individual mosaic for each player and then when you back up the 180 players in the pipeline at the um u.s level at the domestic level then you put together the 70 players that are at the dominican league level you just you get the painting and it says on fan graphs, the Cubs are $260 million. Others don't have that, that I've seen, at least. You know, the Baseball America will tell you what they have the Cubs at, but they won't give you a number to go with. And because fan graphs gives that number, I'm, I'm intrigued. And they are the one I lean toward. Now, with fan graphs, players can be rated 80, 70, 65, 60, 55, 50, 45 plus, 45, 40 plus, 40, 35 plus. And then there's everybody else. So you get the 80, 70, 65, 60, 55, 50, 45 plus, 40, 40 plus, 40, Wow, that didn't come out right. 80, 70, 65, 60, 55, 50, 45 plus 45, 40 plus 40, 35. So my question was, my question was, Fangraphs has the list of all of the Cubs players who are 35 pluses or better. 35 pluses or better. So my question was, who are the Cubs 35s? Who are the Cubs 35s? Of the players who are in the Cubs pipeline, all of them, every single one of them, who would be the 35s? So if I did, I started off by writing down all 60 players that Fangraphs has in the Cubs system that are 35 plus or better. Wrote them all down. Honestly, there were a couple that, oh, I didn't know he was on there. Um, I had forgotten or didn't know that Fabian Pertuz is a 40. Didn't know that. Didn't remember it. Didn't remember that. Um, oh, there's another picture around there that. Giovanni Cruz. I didn't remember that he was a 40. Um, so, you know, it, it was, it was. It was useful. It was instructive for me to write down. And I, I have written down now which all of the players are, what their rankings are. So that was one step. 
wrote down all 60 names because the Cubs have 60 players listed and they add up to $260 million in future value. Step number two was to write down every single roster in the Cubs pipeline. From Iowa to Tennessee to South Bend to Myrtle Beach to Mesa to DSL Blue to DSL Red. I wrote down on different sheets of paper because I write stuff down on sheets of paper. Um, I wrote I, I wrote it all down. I even the I even wrote down Dylan Dylan Maples. Wrote down Dylan Maples. Dylan Maples was going to be with the Cubs for about the next two weeks. Then after the off season, he is almost certainly going to be non-tendered. Well, not even going to be non-tendered. He's just going to his contract is going to lapse. He will become a minor league free agent. And will no longer be. But I wrote them down. I wrote them down. I wrote down all the names. I wrote down all the names of all the players on all of the rosters. And then I went through and I put down the Fangraphs ranking for each player. So, for instance, Corey Abbott on the Iowa roster is listed as a 40. Ben Leeper is listed as a 40 plus. Dakota Meccas is a 35 plus. Ethan Roberts is a 35-plus, Greg Dykeman is a 40, and Brennan Davis is a 60. So I wrote down all of the players on all of the rosters, and I transferred all of the information from Fangraphs as far as what their ranking was onto the roster. I'm trying to, on the fly, put together a bit of a mid um, mid-podcast thing to say. I'm I'm enjoying doing the podcasts again. And I don't like going hand-to-mouth as far as asking for cash. But if the efforts that I provide you in the podcast, if the efforts that I provide you on Twitter, if the efforts that I provide you on Patreon, um, if they are worth value to you, Chuck a buck or two into my Patreon account or Anchor account or whatever. Most of you won't. I appreciate your listening. But for those of you who realize, you know what? This effort probably does deserve a bit of a financial payout. I appreciate you considering it because this is basically my job. This is basically my job. I get paid a bit for my writing with Bleed Cubby Blue, but not nearly as much as you might think I'm getting. And, you know, when I go to the store, I they don't say, here, have free food because you write about the Cubs. No, I, I have to buy stuff. I have to buy stuff. And I appreciate you considering, maybe possibly, tossing a little bit in, in appreciation for what I write. So, I start writing down for the I-Cubs, and then for Tennessee, and then for South Bend, then for Myrtle Beach, then for Mesa, and for the Red and the Blue Cubs in the Dominican Summer League. So then what I have is a list of all of the players in the Cubs pipeline who are um, prospects in the pipeline, and I have it delineated. Uh, I have it noted which ones are considered 60s, which are considered 50s, which are considered well, which are considered 60s, which are considered 55s, which are considered 50s, which are considered 45 pluses, which are considered 45s, 40s, 40, uh, 40 pluses, 40, and 35. But which ones are the 35s? The 35s would be the guys who, for Whatever reason, for whatever reason, fan graphs did not include as a 35 plus or better. So, since I try to follow each of the affiliates as possible, I figure I'm good with my assessments on 
which are the best of the rest. And I came up with 14 players, 14 players that I think are probably 35s. Some of them you might say, oh, no, 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 he needs to be higher than a 35. One guy in particular. But um, I'm taking fan graphs as being accurate. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But I'm taking fan graphs as being accurate, at least for today. And their information is correct. And what I'm trying to figure out is of the players who are not otherwise listed elsewhere as being anything, which players are the 35s. I think I came up with 14 names. That's what I mentioned, and I haven't double-checked it here just now. I think there's like about 14 names. I'm going to go through them. As far as which players I think the Cubs have that are 35s. Now, I've also written down some 30-pluses, which is if you're taking out the 35s, who would be the ones that are remaining? Now, I'm not going to share my 30-pluses because then what's going to end up happening is a whole bunch of people... Sometimes people like to wonder, why don't the Cubs announce fully and totally and completely when a player has an injury? Because I would like to know what is the specific injury concern with, you know, player hasn't played for three or four days. I'd like to know. You see, if the Cubs let us know, if the Cubs post on the website, or if the Cubs have... Tony Andracki or Megan Montemurro or Russell Dorsey or someone else say, well, you know, this guy, he had uh, this thing that happened. and Well, we'd know, but then every other team in the league would also know. It would be fine to let certain people know, but if you're going to actually write it down, then everybody knows. So there's no real interest. Like, for instance, last game of the season, Johendrik Piango made a diving catch and... There was something with his shoulder, and he was he was done for the rest of the game. And since it was the last game of the Pelican season, it was a season-ending injury. Well, what kind of an injury is a house of... It's not for us to know. Johendrik Piango, he's going about his off-season based on, depending upon how healthy he is. And we don't know. It's not important for me to know how healthy Johendrik Piango is. I hope he is healthy. I hope he is well. I hope he is fine. But I'm not going to burn a whole bunch of bridges trying to find out, so, so, so how's, how's Piango doing? No, I, I'm not going We'll find out. I'm guessing by the way he was standing up, he could probably play again if there were games to be played in four or five weeks. But there um, aren't. So he's not going to be playing. Maybe he'll be doing something in the offseason. Maybe he'll spend a whole bunch of time in Mesa when he's healthy or even getting healthy. But information that people don't have to know, sometimes it's best to not make that public. I'm willing to go with go public with my 35s. I am not willing to go public with my 30 pluses because then what you're going to have a whole bunch of people who... Um, how do I want to put this respectfully? Uh, can possibly a bit be a bit on the muckraker side. Well, this person said this, so because of that, we're going to do that. I'm willing to tell you the 14 people that I think are 35s. I'm not willing to tell you which players that I think are 30 pluses because then someone will be saying, well, you know, Tim said that this guy is better than that other guy. And I don't want to go there. I really don't want to go there. I'm willing to tell you who my 35 pluses are, who my 35s are. I also have some 30 pluses, but I'm not willing to tell you those because that is information that you have to provide me a whole lot more value to get even a glisten of a hint of a whiff of who's the 30 pluses. But I'll tell you who the 35s are, at least in my world. I'm going to start with Iowa. The only 35 that I see on Iowa is Brendan Little. Brendan Little was a first-round draft choice in 2017. He has mightily struggled through much of his career throwing strikes. This year, he's finally started to put it together. 
and Fangraphs does not have him listed on their 35 pluses or better. So I'm going to say Brendan Little is 35 because he is the whole premise of the 35. The whole premise of the 35 is let's assume there's going to be a potential trade. Let's just assume there's going to be some sort of a potential trade between one team and another. Let's leave the Cubs entirely out of it. Let's say there is going to be a potential trade between the Phillies and the, who would be, Phillies and the Padres. Teams in similar, um, similar ranges, similar interests, similar desires, similar all that kind of stuff. Now let's say that both of them are going to trade one player who has been somewhat struggling for them and a prospect. Somewhat, one player who's been somewhat struggling and a prospect. So the premise of the 35, I want to know of the players who are not 35 pluses on fan graphs, not 35 pluses on fan graphs, who are the next 12, 14, 15, 16, 18 best prospects in every single organization? So if we're getting to the point where we are making one of those trades, where someone is going to be trading away a 35 prospect. Who might we be talking about? First one on my list is Brendan Little from Iowa, Tennessee. And on my Tennessee list, I see five or six 30 pluses. So yeah, there are some completely legitimate 30 plus type prospects, but I'm not going to tell you who they are. Um, The 35 the 35 on Tennessee is Scott Kobos. Scott Kobos was a post-draft 2020 Cubs signing out of Coastal Carolina. A left-hander. Um, he was about as much of an afterthought as could possibly be an afterthought. Kobos was not highly regarded in college, I wouldn't say, as far as, oh boy, why, why didn't this guy get picked in the five rounds because in 2020 there were only it was only a five round draft so there were a whole bunch of players who decided you know what i've had I, i've enjoyed school but i'm done with it i'm done with school i want to get on and start playing professional baseball but i wasn't drafted by a major league team the owners because the owners are the owners limited players like that now to a twenty thousand dollar signing bonus before it had been 125 was the default for players who weren't um, selected in the draft. You could receive up to $125,000 and get going that way. But the owners decided, no, there are too many people who actually are willing to spend $125,000. We want to cramp it down to $20,000. So if a player is making a jump to Major League Baseball, despite not being drafted, it's going to be a bargain for whoever gets them. So $20,000, Scott Kobos, Cubs had a number of players. Jacob Wetzel was one, Matt Mervis was one. Guys who were brought in were going to give these players a chance to be major leaguers or minor league players on the steps, on the step to being major leaguers. And probably most of them aren't going to do a whole lot, but they can actually be minor league players. So they, Scott Kobos signed one of those contracts. And Scott Kobos numbers, Scott Kobos is numbers for 2021 were absolutely ridiculous. And let me see, over three different levels, he pitched in Myrtle Beach, he pitched in Iowa, no, he pitched in Myrtle Beach, he pitched in South Bend, and he pitched in Tennessee. And between the three levels, he pitched 30 and two-thirds innings. He allowed one earned run. His ERA for 2021 was 0.29. I've told a number of people. I've mentioned it a number of times on a podcast. I don't know how hard he throws. He's throwing 92, 93, a little higher, a little lower. I, I, I really don't know. I haven't really heard enough times people saying this is how hard he throws. 
Um, 30 and two-thirds innings, 13 hits, 11 walks, possibly a little higher than you might prefer, 49 strikeouts, one run, one run. To me, if you give up one run over 30 and two-thirds innings in a minor league season, you qualify as a 35 prospect. Maybe next year he gets, uh, maybe next year he's not as successful, but as of right now, he is. Danias Correa, I have him on my expected 40-man roster, um, roster additions um, in November. Don't know that I'm correct, but I have him on my list. He pitched in Myrtle Beach and in South Bend this year between the two teams. He had a 1.95 ERA in 37 innings, 21 hits, 18 walks, 60 strikeouts. To me, you flash up those kind of numbers in low A and high A. I think that qualifies him as a 35 prospect. Amazingly, as much as I appreciate and approve and dig fan graphs, they didn't include DJ Hers. They did not include DJ Hers. DJ Hers is not listed anywhere on the Fangraphs list. Probably the day that the guy went out to take a look at DJ Hers, he had a bad outing, and somebody and whoever he was said, "You know what? I think this guy's overrated. I think he's overhyped. We're going to omit him from our list." DJ Hers is better than that. He's better than the thirty-five. He's better than the thirty-five plus. He should probably be in the forty or forty-five range. And we will see where he eventually ends up. But as of right now, he is on my 35 list because he definitely deserves it. Zachary Lee is a player who the Cubs selected in... I'm doing live updates on my baseball reference page. Um, as I'm doing this, Zachary Lee was... A 2021 Cubs draft pick out of 16th rounder out of Texas State in San Marcos, Texas. And 16th round draft pick. 16th round draft pick, you think, eh, yeah, that's really nothing. That's that, that's incidental. That really doesn't matter. He's not all that impressive. This year he had an ERA of 5.03. Again, not horribly impressive. Doesn't sound like he's all that much. Cubs brought him in, and he had eight and two-thirds innings, four hits, three walks, 17 strikeouts. I'm going to say that again. Eight and two-thirds innings, four hits, three walks, 17 strikeouts between the Arizona Compound League and South Bend. He made the jump over Myrtle Beach. He made the jump over Myrtle Beach. He made the jump over Myrtle Beach. South Bend, three games, five innings, Three hits, three walks, eight strikeouts. What impressed me about Zachary Lee was is 96. He is a legitimate 96 out of the bullpen. Very legitimate 96 out of the bullpen. I think he's also got a slider that can put people away. Two-pitch guy. As a collegiate, he was not really built for going six or seven or eight innings in the, let's see, Sunbelt Conference and struggled there quite a bit, but switch him to the major league, switch him to being a relief pitcher. He's already represented that he can pitch well at the advanced A level. He hasn't been proven, small sample size, but I like what I hear. I like what I hear enough to consider Zach Lee a 35 Additional 35, Pablo Aliendo. Um, I like to talk about Pablo Aliendo. He was an afterthought in the Dominican Summer League in 2019. Teams generally have three or four catchers on their DSL roster, and one guy will catch on Monday, and another, or, yeah, one guy will catch on Monday, and then another guy will catch on Tuesday. Then there'll be a day off on Wednesday. Then you go back to the guy who started on 
Monday on Wednesday, and then on Thursday you go with a different guy, and then you go with the guy you caught on Tuesday on Friday. And you, 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 it is what it is. You, you have a whole bunch of different players because with the Dominican Summer League, you're trying to get looks at a whole bunch of different players and see who is developing. And so much of it is practice, practice that we don't see. We don't even see the games. But Pablo Aliendo was a complete afterthought and just barely made the Myrtle Beach roster. Just barely made the Myrtle Beach roster. Almost ended up in Mesa. But they decided we're going to let Pablo Aliendo start the year at Myrtle Beach and just see how it goes. And Aliendo did very well at Myrtle Beach, advanced to South Bend. Yeah, let me see. Let's, let me look up his numbers. I don't think his numbers in South Bend were all that impressive, but that he actually fought through and got there in a year when he wasn't even really necessarily expected to be in Myrtle Beach. Um, I'm really impressed by Pablo Aliendo and how quickly he has developed. Let's see. South Bend, 15 games. 118 batting average, 281 OPS. So yeah, the offense wasn't there for Pablo Aliendo at the South Bend level. But trust me, he's going to be working in the offseason at this, that, and the other thing. The offense of the, the game, the catching of the game, the throwing of the game, the, the everything, the pitch calling of the game. Pablo Aliendo, I'm completely good with calling him a 35. Jonathan Peralaza. Eventually, I'm going to have an article on Jonathan Perlaz. I'm doing articles on many of the Cubs' prospects this offseason. And Jonathan Perlaz, around about July 14th, July 15th, somewhere in there, he was sputtering, sputtering at the um, advanced A level. And it just hadn't quite, the, the, light hadn't, the light bulb hadn't gone on yet. On about July 16th, the light bulb went on and it didn't go off. It, it was fun listening to uh, Max Toma talking about how, well, the uh, the three-week-long streak that Jonathan Perlaza has been on, and then it became five weeks, and then it became six weeks, and then it became after July 16th. Whatever he did after July 16th was absolutely fantastic. Um, Jonathan Perlaza is arguably close to being worthy of a 40-man roster spot. I had him on my list of players who might be protected for the 40-man roster, placed on the 40-man roster to be protected from the Rule 5 draft, but someone has a bit more experience at this kind of thing than I do. Said, no, 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 he's not going to get drafted. So I was really happy to leave him off the list because, hey, it gets a lot easier now if you don't have to worry about Pablo, uh, about um, Jonathan Peralaza getting protected. So I just dumped him off my list because, nope, he's not going to get selected because somebody told me he's not going to get selected. So um, Peralaza used to be a shortstop and had some defensive troubles, and sometimes when he'd have defensive troubles, he'd take his defensive troubles to the plate, and he would struggle at the plate because he messed up defensively, and etc., etc., etc. The Cubs finally decided in 2021 to move him to the outfield through mid-July. It hadn't worked. After mid-July, it did work, and Jonathan Perlaza played fantastically well for the Cubs late in the season, He's a 35 for me. Now we move to Myrtle Beach. Again, I see a number of 30 pluses, which I'm not going to tell you who those are. Um, 35s. Porter Hodge. Porter Hodge is a player who, he's a pitcher. I'm going to round his numbers up here while we're talking. In the Arizona League, one thing I noticed about Porter Hodge, his numbers were not spectacular. Not even remotely. But what the Cubs did with Porter Hodge was they let him pitch into a situation where they would let him get in, get into trouble. They would let him get into trouble. They would let him get out of trouble. Sometimes he would get out of trouble. 
Sometimes he wouldn't get out of trouble. So what that meant was his numbers got really ugly. His numbers got really ugly. They would, they'd have him... I'm going to take a brief sidestep. In the Arizona Compound League, usually a starting pitcher goes two or three innings. And that's it. That's it. That's all. Once you pitch two or three innings, you can give us three innings, we'll get you the heck out of there. Bring in another pitcher. With Porter Hodge, they let him pitch. They let him pitch into the fourth inning. They let him pitch into the fifth inning. There are a couple of times they let him pitch into the sixth inning. And sometimes in that fourth inning or that fifth inning or that sixth inning, he'd get into trouble. He wouldn't get out. He'd like load the bases because they were pushing him. And sometimes when they, okay, you, you, you've pitched enough. We're going to take you out. We're going to bring in a reliever. The reliever comes in, gives up a two-run double, all the runs score. So in Porter Hodge's seven Arizona Compound League starts, his ERA was a was an unsightly, haven't used that word on the podcast in a while, an unsightly 7.45 ERA. Why do you want to care about a guy? With... They let him pitch. They let him pitch. They let him pitch. They pushed him. They extended him. They let him pitch. And I was noticing that during the Arizona Compound League games, because I was paying attention to the Arizona Compound League games, they kept letting him stay out there. Other guys, they were lifting him after three innings, lifting him after four innings. Porter Hodge, yeah, go ahead, pitch a fifth inning. If he ends up, you know, fifth inning, he ends up giving up four runs and only getting one out. It's going to kill his ERA. But he learned stuff. He learned stuff. So, guy goes from the Arizona Compound League to the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. Takes up that huge step from the Compound League, the full season ball. He had a 7.45 ERA in the Arizona Compound League. 7.45 ERA in the Arizona Compound League. What do you think his ERA was with the Myrtle Beach Pelicans? Now, if you're thinking, you know, just logically, well, if he's 7.45 and he moves up a level, he's playing against better players, then probably his ERA is going to be like, what, 11? Right? That'd be the logical thing, right? Here, let's look. Um, ERA, 3.74. 21 two-thirds innings, 19 hits, 8 walks. Not bad. 29 strikeouts. Porter Hodge is not the type of player that I see as being a 1 or a 2 in a major league rotation in 3 or 4 years. I'm not seeing that in Porter Hodge. Maybe it happens. I'm not seeing it. What I'm seeing is a player who learns things. You send him out there, you let him pitch, he learns things. When a player gets better from the Arizona Compound League to low A, that tells me he's got something that he gets. He's learning things as he goes along. He was pitching. There were times he's getting beat in, there in low A. But he's also getting people out. Porter Hodge... Qualifies the 35 because it's a whole lot better than I would have expected. Because he did a whole lot better than I expected, he is, for me, a 35 in the Cubs pipeline. Miguel Angel Rodriguez, uh, Luis Angel Rodriguez, Luis Angel Rodriguez is a player I know from the Wayback Machine back in 2019. His, actually, 2018. Dominican Summer League 2018. His ERA was 0.73. 61 and a third innings, 38 hits, 7 walks. I'm going to run that by you again. 61 and a third innings, 38 hits, 7 walks, 61 strikeouts. I saw those numbers and it's like, this guy fascinates me. I don't know what he's got because all I'm doing is reading stuff on, you know, box scores in the from the Dominican Summer League. But them's some good numbers. He he's got something. Um, moved to the Arizona League in 2019, two and four, 3.61 ERA, 47 in the third innings, 44 hits, 
24 walks, 44 strikeouts. Not as impressive, but yeah, it's okay. Left-handed pitcher doing some things. Okay, fine, whatever. 2020, there's no 2020. He pitched for Jalisco in the Mexican Pro League and kind of got hit pretty hard. 2021 goes to the Arizona Summer uh, Arizona Compound League again. And this time, nine games, four starts, 26 innings, 14 hits, seven walks, 39 strikeouts, 26 innings, 39 strikeouts. Something's going on there. Something's going on there. Something's going on there. He ought to get a look at a higher level. And right before the season ended, Luis Angel Rodriguez got called up to Myrtle Beach. Three games, 10 to third innings, five hits, five walks, 18 strikeouts, 0.968 whip. I'm intrigued. He has a curveball. That if the hitter's not ready for a curveball, he's going to be out. Um, He was putting people away swinging, putting people away looking. Luis Angel Rodriguez is worthy of a 35. So I consider Luis Angel Rodriguez a 35. And I look forward to what he does on Into the Future. And I think... As Fangraphs does a little bit more research on this, that, and the other thing, Luis Angel Rodriguez might become a 35 plus. Casey Opitz was the Cubs' eighth round pick in the 2021 draft, a catcher from Arkansas. Two stats that Max Wiederhaft used quite regularly were he has been a switch hitter since he was 10 years old. And he's been calling his games since high school. Most catchers in college look to the head coach for the pitch to get called. There are a couple different ways. You can look to the pitch, look to the head coach, and the head coach calls the pitch. Or sometimes you have a little walkie-talkie thing, and the coach uses the walkie-talkie thing and talks out to the manager and to the catcher. I want a high fastball on this pitch, or I want a slider low and away because the reason it works that way in college the coaches are completely in control coaches are completely in control because they're the ones who will get fired not the players so the coach wants to make sure if he is going to lose a game because of a bad pitch call he wants to be the person making that bad pitch call instead of the catcher now i don't think that's necessarily a good idea i think it would probably be better to let the catchers at least somewhat get used to calling games because that will be a major part of what they're doing as catchers at the professional level. Nonetheless, college coaches don't listen to me. If you watch a college game, the catcher will almost always look over to the coach shortly after returning the ball back to the pitcher, and the coach will call the pitch. Casey Opitz, when he was at Arkansas, called the games. Casey Opitz called the games. He was the one who was deciding who, uh, what pitch Peyton Paulette or uh, whoever the Arkansas pitcher was. Casey Opitz was making a call. Casey Opitz is not going to be blindsided by, oh my goodness, now I have to make the call. No, he's been doing that since high school. It's not something that's going to be uh, particularly new to him, having to call pitches. That will not be a surprise. He is a switch hitting catcher. His offense wasn't necessarily quite as good at the Myrtle Beach level as I hoped, but he wasn't. He wasn't bad by no stretch. Was he bad? Casey Opitz. Let's see what. Uh, oh. Myrtle Beach, sixteen games. 245 batting average, OPS 638. Not bad. Uh, I had kind of hoped for a little bit more, but that that's totally acceptable. The premise is he was in Myrtle Beach in his draft season. That means probably in 2022, if he's healthy and all that kind of stuff, he should be in South Bend in advanced A-ball, advancing, progressing, 
and possibly at some point he might be a useful backup catcher at the major league level, which would not be a bad um, return on investment for an eight-round draft pick. Now we will drop to the Mesa Cubs. As far as 35s, Chase Watkins. Chase Watkins was a left-handed pitcher the Cubs selected in the 2021 draft as I... Uh, ninth, ninth round, 2021 draft out of Oregon State. Watkins only pitched at the Arizona Compound League. Uh, 11 innings, 10 hits. Surprised that there's 10 hits there. Uh, two walks, 20 strikeouts. 11 innings, 11 in a third. Oh, oh, try that again. Take two. 11 and a third innings, 20 strikeouts. Left-handed pitcher. I don't specifically know what he has going on. But in the first fall league game, in the first... Um, what, what are we? Uh, I'll get to that one. But it, in a game on Tuesday out in Mesa, Chase Watkins, three innings, two hits, one run, unearned, one walk, four strikeouts, 52 pitches. Chase Watkins is not going to be limited to being a starting uh, relief pitcher necessarily as a minor leaguer next cycle. Next cycle, 30-32, Chase Watkins could well be a starter in either Myrtle Beach or South Bend, either or, because why not give him a chance? If he is given a rotation spot in Myrtle Beach or South Bend and it doesn't work, oh well, there's no real huge blowback on trying to give a player a chance and it didn't pay off. Juan Mora, I think I'm about done with my 35s. Juan Mora absolutely hit the heck out of the ball in the Arizona Compound League. He really probably doesn't have a position. He's a second baseman, third baseman, shortstop, maybe. And I don't know if he's particularly solid at any of the positions. It says second base, third base. Did he play any shortstop? Uh, scrolls down. Seems like it doesn't show his defense. That screwy is all get out. Um, Arizona Compound League. Oh, pitched in a game. <laughs> Didn't know that. Um, 29 games, 351 batting average, OPS 1.054. Um, I don't know what's going to end up happening with Juan Mora, but if you have a an OPS of 1.054 over almost 100 plate appearances in the Arizona Compound League, I'm going to call you a 35 prospect. DSL blue, no 35s. DSL red, two 35s. One was Moises Ballesteros. I'm actually kind of surprised Moises Ballesteros, he can get a 35-plus. Um, he had a bit of buzz coming out of his international signing, but sticking behind in the Dominican Summer League probably didn't help his rankings much. 42 games, 163 plate appearances, two homers, 248 batting average, 740 OPS. Um, 740 OPS, the league average was 662, something like that. Um, so yeah, he hit well. He's decent enough defensively. He has a little bit of pop. Mo, we say Spiesteros, 35 for me. Pedro Ramirez, the, since the season is about over, Pedro Ramirez has been hitting the heck out of the ball. Um... One of the things I find really surprising in baseball reference, Pedro Ramirez sounds like a rather ordinary name, doesn't it? There's only four players 
named Pedro Ramirez at all. You know, not major leaguers, just major league, minor league, college guys, anything. Pedro Ramirez doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't sound like that obscure of a name, but uh, there's only four options. So far, 45 games, 195 plate appearances, one home run, 29 RBIs, 360 batting average, 923 OPS. Yeah, that'll work. Pedro Ramirez not listed on the fan graphs as a 35. I'm saying he's a 35. As noted, I do have some players who I think are 30 pluses as well. I'm not going to make those names public. I did figure I would let people know the 14 players who I have as 35. What the heck? Since I have a couple seconds, I will run through them again. Brendan Little. Brandon Little. Scott Kobos. Danius Correa. DJ Hers. Zachary Lee. Jonathan Perlaza. Pablo Aliendo. Casey Opitz, Luis Angel Rodriguez, Porter Hodge, Chase Watkins, Juan Mora, Pedro Ramirez, and Moises Ballesteros. I think those are the best of the rest of the Cubs prospects that are not listed on Fangraphs. I really do appreciate what Fangraphs does. I'm starting to really appreciate a whole lot more what Baseball Reference does too. They've they've upgraded a lot, and they've basically replaced um, the Baseball Cube by significantly upgrading their college coverage. Um, if you have any questions about 35s, why I didn't include this person or why I did include that person. Feel free to ask me questions. I haven't gotten questions on the podcast in a while. They are appreciated. But uh, bother me on Twitter. Ask me questions there. I'm trying to see to it that the deeper dive stuff is touched a little bit better in regards to Cubs prospects than a number of people have given um, lip service to. Thanks for stopping by Pre-Arb Excellence. I'll have another podcast up relatively soon. I'll attempt to have that worth your time as well. Be safe, go Cubs, go, and be nice to people.